Chapter 13 Jack made his fry up, and the day seemed off to a good start, as so often the really bad days do. <laughs> the Bagthorpe family were bad-tempered and edgy, and they were all boasting more than usual. This was a sign that they were feeling threatened. It was not merely that Jack's totally unexpected and rather alarming new talents looked like overshadowing them all. It was just a general sense that, after the last few days, anything could happen, and if it did, it would almost certainly be bad. Grandma evidently had this feeling so strongly that she was keeping to her room again. She said she felt safer in there. She was obviously not spending the whole time breathing, because she kept sending communiques to Rosie asking her to hurry up with the portrait so that she could have her photographs of Thomas back. This, in turn, made Rosie feel threatened. She was tempted to make such a horrible mess of the painting that she would lose her reputation for doing portraits and never have to do one again. She decided against this in the end. She liked doing portraits usually, and if she never did any more she would have lost a string to her bow and have to find another one. So she struggled on. She gave Grandma a nose, eyes, and mouth this time, and in fact put in a lot more detail than she had intended to defer the evil moment when she would have to tackle Thomas. Only when she had added the last possible wrinkle to Grandma's brow did she face up to the inevitable. She glared at the pictures of Thomas spread before her, and thought how ugly and bad-tempered he looked, and could understand why everyone had hated him so much alive. He was hateful dead, as far as Rosie was concerned. Downstairs, William and Tess were battling for Atlanta's attention. The former was showing her the silver cups and trophies he had won for tennis. He had first taken them into the kitchen with a request that Mrs. Fosdyke should clean them. This, in turn, had put Mrs. Fosdyke into a bad temper. "'I've no time for that kind of fiddle-faddling today,' she told him. "'Mrs. Bagthorpe and me have got the decorators coming in. We've carpets to choose and curtains to choose and Lord knows what else, though I'm bound to say that room will never be what it was. Heirlooms, them chairs, was.' And even if you could get them the same again identical, they wouldn't be the same. <laughs> William had cleaned the silver himself, the more to impress Atlanta. He was definitely gone on her. And not only that, word seemed to have gone round because some of Jack's friends, and their elder brothers as well, had started turning up at the house on all sorts of pretexts. This, in turn, was annoying Mr. Bagthorpe. After breakfast, he had retired to his study to try out the new microphone, though with little hope of success. I might have yesterday. I was on the brink of a breakthrough when that hellhound came pouncing down on me. I can't sit saying my thoughts out loud. It's not in my nature. I'm too shy. It makes me self-conscious. The others were so stunned by Mr. Bagthorpe's claim to shyness that they could think of nothing to say. I know what you'll do, he went on. You'll creep up outside my door and listen. I know you will. They all strenuously denied this. The thought had not even entered their heads, they said, though one or two of them did make a mental note that it would be quite an interesting thing to do, to <laughs> fill in the odd spare moment. When William's friends started turning up, however, and started playing music and laughing loudly, Mr. Bagthorpe came out of his room and shouted, What is this? A commune? Turn that thing off! I'll never write another word! I'm finished! He gave a despairing wave of his white arm, and went back in and banged the door. And there was some muffled shouting in there for a time, which was presumably Mr. Bagthorpe doing some strong dialogue. Then silence. 
William told his friends they had better go, and they reluctantly went, still staring at Atlanta. William fetched a spare racket and took her out on the lawn to coach her tennis. Tess, infuriated by this, brought out a mat and began practicing all kinds of judo falls, and at the same time talking to Atlanta and pointing things out to her and maddening William. The Bagthorpes were never at their best, went out to impress, and once one of them started showing off they usually went right out of control. It was infectious. Rosie, sitting alone in her room with the birthday portrait, stuffed the photos of Thomas in her folio and went out to set her things up in the garden, too. Atlanta was gratifyingly impressed. She went through all the paintings in Rosie's folio and exclaimed, "Beautiful!" or "What gut!" at everything. And Rosie was so flattered that she offered to paint Atlanta's portrait when she had finished Grandma's. Oh, yeah, yeah, please, please. <laughs> Atlanta was delighted. William was not. On the other hand, it gave him an idea, and he went and fetched his camera, and finished the film in it, taking shots of Atlanta. By then, Rosie had set up her easel and started work on the birthday portrait. Atlanta came and looked over her shoulder. She frowned a little. She pointed to the row of photos of Thomas that Rosie had clipped along the top of the easel, and then at the indeterminate gingery shape Rosie had so far roughed in on Grandma's lap. Cat, said Rosie, and pointed to Thomas up a drainpipe, with a mouse in his mouth. Cat, repeated Atlanta, then, pointing to the ginger blur, blur repeated in mystified tones. Cat? I can't do cats, said Rosie glumly, meant to be one, but I can't do cats. She shook her head vigorously to convey this. Atlanta's face instantly lit up. Ah, me, me. I do cats, please. She put out her hand for the brush, and Rosie, a trifle dazed, gave it to her. Atlanta moved into position before the easel. It was at this point that Jack came out, armed with the two dowsing rods, and followed by Zero. He had hoped to attract some attention, but was not even registered as present. Tess, William, and Rosie were all watching with rapt admiration as Atlanta painted with swift, deft strokes. <clears throat> Intrigued, Jack went over and joined them. He had to join them anyway, if he wanted them to notice his dowsing gear. <clears throat> Rosie's impression of Grandma was in itself spectacular. The formerly missing eyes, nose, and mouth were there, all right, but so enmeshed in a network of lines and wrinkles that at first sight she looked more like an ordnance survey map than a person. But what was amazing, what riveted the eye, was the gingery bundle on her lap, which was becoming, literally second by second, the living image of the late, ill-fated Thomas. Even Jack did not remember the original very well, but he had seen his photographs and heard enough stories about his character and exploits to recognize that this, to the life, was he. No one spoke, as Atlanta's brush darted back and forth. The Bagthorpes respected other people's strings to bows, and the likeness was in any case breathtaking, from narrowed eyes to unsheathed claws and stiffened tail. At length Atlanta stepped back from the easel and half-closed her eyes and murmured, "'Yeah?' <clears throat> "'Oh, yeah!' chorused the Bagthorpes as one. Rosie rushed forward and actually hugged Atlanta. The portrait, the dreadful birthday portrait, was finished, and what was more, Grandma was going to like it. <laughs> 
When it was later shown to her, Grandma not only liked it, she actually wept before it. She said it was as if Thomas had stepped out of time and was there with her again, breathing and purring as ever was. No one else remembered Thomas doing much purring, but perhaps she did. She said that she would never be parted from the portrait as long as she lived, and the Bagthorpes half expected her to announce her intention of having it buried with her. <laughs> now, however, while the Bagthorpes were congratulating Atlanta, and Tess was doing some complicated falls to try to draw attention, Jack himself had a sudden inspiration. She's captured that cat, he thought, even from the grave. What if she'd capture Zero? Oh, Zero, old chap. The thought stunned him. You'd be immortal. He wasted no time. He stepped forward, tapped Atlanta's arm, and pointed at Zero with one of the divining rods. Dog, he said. Dorg, agreed Atlanta. Zero. That's right. You, you, paint dorg? <laughs> he pointed first at the still wet paint on Thomas, and then at Zero. Her face lightened. Yeah, yeah, I do dorg, I do Zero. Oh, please, Jack said. Will you? She nodded. I like to. I like to, Ciro. Rosie? She pointed at the easel and paints. Rosie could not, at that moment, have refused her anything. Now? Jack felt it best to act while the time was ripe. Yeah, yeah. William, disgusted, threw down his racket. I'm off, he said. I'm going to have a word with Anonymous from Grimsby. He went. 